morning. We're so glad to have you here this morning. My name is Pastor Matt, and I'm the lead pastor here. We're grateful that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Beautiful songs that take me back to youth group. I love the throwback songs. Beautifully done, BJ, and to the team, thank you very much. Let's pray as we open up God's Word today. Father, you are great. The theme of the songs that we've been singing could not be more true. You are great. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our lives. And and we come before you and we acknowledge that. We tell that to you. We sing that to you. We know that you are worthy for who you are, for what you've created, for what you've done, for how you've shown your love to us. You are great. You are worthy. And so we worship you. And God, as we turn to think about what it looks like for us to live in this greatness, God, we pray that you would help us, that you would lead us, you would guide us, you would convict us, that we would live more in the shadow of your greatness. And so God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and that you would speak to each of our own individual stories in our lives, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, God, we pray that you would speak to us, that no matter what we have carried into the room this morning, no matter the struggle, the stress, or the peace that we're experiencing, God, that nothing would keep us from hearing your voice according to your truth in your word. God, because we want to be changed. We want to look like you. We want to live the way that you have laid out. And so, God, we ask that you would help us. It's in the name of your Son that we can pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. The question that I have been thinking about as I have developed this new series is this. What does it mean to be great? How would you define greatness? If someone is going to look at your life and say, that person is great. What are the things that that person does? What are the attributes he has or he carries? What has he accomplished? What does it mean to be great? When I was a kid, I knew what it was to be great. I wanted to be the world's greatest basketball player. I loved basketball. Playing, practicing, watching, thinking. We did sports camps. We did all the teams. I loved basketball playing basketball. One of my favorite players to watch was Grant Hill. Everything about this guy, his crossover, his shot, his passing. I loved Grant Hill. And I remember getting his address through a book that I had received, and I wrote him a letter. It's kind of weird. (laughs) Telling him how much I loved him. And he wrote me back. Well, it was, I don't know that he wrote it. Something came back to me from him. 
with a picture of him signed. It didn't look like real ink, but it was still the thought that Grant Hill would acknowledge me. And it was a wonderful day. I remember when I turned 13, my dad told me and my other brothers that when we turned 13, he would take us wherever, wherever we wanted to go. And so being a lover of basketball, I said, Dad, can you take me to the Charlotte Hornets? Another player I loved played for the Hornets at the time, Alonzo Mourning, and I wanted to watch a basketball game. That, to me, was greatness. The thought of growing up and becoming a basketball player who was known, who was liked, who was watched by millions, was greatness in my mind. But it comes back to the question, is this what greatness is? And, and the more that I've thought about the different ways that we could define what it really means to be someone who's great, I've realized that the way that God answers that question is different than our, the way our culture answers that question. What does God say to us about being truly great? But before we get to how God tells us, I think it's helpful to to focus on how our culture says this is what it means to be great. And so for our culture, you see all sorts of definitions or answers to this question. To be great means you've accomplished something that you've set your mind to. You've achieved a goal. If you do those things, you're great. There was a poll that, that asked thousands and thousands of adults, what does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to be great? 90% of the answers that came back said, I have achieved something that I've set my mind to do. I'm accomplished. I got that job. I made that team. I have this relationship. I did this. I accomplished something. And now I'm great. That's why LeBron James, another basketball player with millions of followers. His hashtag that he always or often uses is strive for greatness. Work hard to become great. Accomplish a goal and you are great. This isn't some recent phenomenon either. Historically, Greatness is through accomplishment. I was reading about King Alexander III. Okay, King Alexander III took over the throne when he was 20 years old. And he set out to conquer the world. He set out to overthrow the Persian Empire. And over the first eight years as a 20-year-old, over 11,000 miles, he leads his army and he, has, he conquers country, nation, city after city after city. He becomes an ambassador. He becomes a, a politician. He creates, he explores, he starts. And he's a young man, and he, you know the nickname he's, he's given. Alexander the Great. The Great One, who has accomplished so much as a young man. But as great as Grant Hill is and as, as accomplished as the king was, those accomplishments were unsustainable. Grant Hill 
got hurt. He hurt his ankle and he went in for surgery. And I remember this. I mean, he was in the prime of his career and he hurt his ankle. He had surgery on his ankle, a a routine surgery, but he wasn't feeling right after the surgery. So he went back into the doctor. They started to look at the at his ankle, and, and they realized that he, was, he had a serious, life-threatening infection. And just like that, his career was essentially over. Now, he eventually came back to the game, but he was never the same. The king, King Alexander, he dies at a young age. He was 30-something when he passed away. Greatness. Is it accomplishments? Is it just when you're able to do something or to achieve a goal? I think it should be more than that. I think it is more than that. So many other definitions that our culture throws at us when it comes to being great. In the age of social media, perhaps greatness for you is this idea of being known with follows and likes and shares and friends. And the more people who care and follow and watch you, the greater that you are. Perhaps it's this idea of happiness, that same poll that, that pulled thousands and thousands of people. A good a Half of the people that answered it said, I'm great when I'm happy, when I can do what I want, how I want to do it. And there's nothing wrong with these these definitions. Okay, so please hear me say that. It is, there is nothing wrong with accomplishing something. There is nothing wrong with being known and having friends or being popular. There's nothing wrong with, with happiness. But is this what greatness really is? Is this all there is to it? I was reading about Merle Haggard, okay, a iconic country music star, and he all his accomplishments, the number ones and the CDs and the tours and all the money he's made. And at the end of his life, after all the experiences, he says this, he says, there is restlessness in my soul that I have never conquered, not with motion, not with marriages, not with meaning. It is there still to a degree. And it will be there till the day I die. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I was great. In our culture's eyes, I was great. I mean, I was successful. I did what I wanted to do. I felt what I wanted to feel. And at the end of his life, he says, but I was still restless. There has to be more to greatness than just what our culture spits at us. Doing something, accomplishing something, feeling something. There has to be something more than that. So what does God tell us? How does God share with us what greatness is? And I think it's important to start with where we've been worshiping all morning. Greatness is God's and it is God's alone. Greatness starts with God. He is alone Great, not kings, not famous people, not you, not me. God alone is great. As I was preparing to talk about David, I was reading through 1 Samuel. And as you see the Israelites start to beg Samuel for a king. 
And I came across this passage that I think really explains or shows us that God alone is great. And it's not the kings that were great. It's not the people that were great. And you see in this passage that we're about to read how Israel wanted somebody to be their king. Let's read this passage together. It'll be on the screen. 1 Samuel 12, 12 through 25. It says, when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Amorites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. And when the Lord your God was your king, and now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Well, pause there. The, the Israelites saw another king. and They said, look at him. Look how great he is. You can see him. You can hear him. You can touch him and follow him and know him. And we want a king like that. We want someone to follow like that. This great man, we want that. And Samuel responds, it says, your king is your God. The great one here is God. But if you really want a king, because you think that's going to show you greatness, then I will give you a king. And he continues sharing with the Israelites. Verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both of you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord, your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And I love this verse. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Like, stop moving. Stop running around everywhere. Like, just sit still and let me show you greatness. You think it's a king, but let me show you what great really is. Verse 17, is it not wheat harvest today? I'll call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord in Samuel. I love this. I'll show you greatness. God, let's, let's give them thunder, and let's give them rain. Like, let me show you greatness. And Samuel is almost a comedian here. It's, it's kind of funny. He's like, and you're great too. You're really great too. And they're like, oh, good, thank you at being wicked. It's like their greatness is in doing the wrong things. It says, you're not great. Your king will not be great. The great one is your heavenly father who will send thunder, who will send rain. Psalm 86, 8 through 10, again, just speaks to this greatness of our God. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. God alone 
is great. No one is like him. None is great like he is. And so for us, when we're answering this question, what does it mean to be great? Like really great, to be known as great, to leave a great legacy? Like how do we define that question? And it's pretty simple. Our greatness is by association with the great God that we serve. Our greatness is by being in his greatness, walking in his shadow, living in his greatness. We once met a, a couple, our family, that was pretty famous, the Duggar family. Perhaps you know the Duggar family. Yeah, and we happened to have dinner with, a, with some of the Duggar family one night with some friends. And they wanted to go out to this outdoor mall. And so we went out to the outdoor mall with some of the Duggars. How about that? And, and as we were walking around with the Duggars, okay, it was Christmas time. And the amount of people who knew who this family was and were coming, they would see us and they would talk to us and they would talk to Ashley and I'd say, hey, can you take a picture for us? And we're like, yeah, sure, we can, we can take a picture for you. But all of a sudden, our popularity, us knowing people at this big crowded mall was only because we were with a, a couple that was popular, that was famous, that had a TV show. And it's not all that dissimilar with our greatness. Our greatness is when we are with God. And as I'm thinking about pictures of God's greatness, like ways that we can see how we can be great in his greatness, there's probably no better picture in the Old Testament than King David. King David was an incredible man of God. No other person other than Jesus Christ has more written in the scriptures about him. But what's interesting about David is that he really wasn't anything that special. Like he was just a boy who took care of sheep. He was forgotten. Yet he pursued God. He walked in his greatness. He ruled as a king. He won battles. He followed the Lord. He conquered empires. He wrote songs. He wrote scripture. He was wise. He cared for the people that he was in charge of. But the question comes back to what makes David great? Was it his accomplishments? And we've already said that's not lasting. David was great. And the one point that we want to focus on this morning, David was great because he was a man after God's own heart. David was great because he was described as being someone who was after God's own heart. A famous passage, a famous description that no one else in the Bible gets this description. Yet it's so interesting to me how famous this description is. You've heard this description. God, David was a man after God's own heart. And if I were to ask you, what does that mean? Like, just describe that to me. We would not have an answer probably. It's kind of nebulous. It's like when a girl that you're dating or your wife says, I want you to be after my heart. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, how does that work? What does that actually mean? And so what we want to do is we want to pause and we want to we study what does it mean that David was after 
God's heart. Because again, you see the description in the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament, and on the surface, it, it doesn't give you the answer. But when you're studying a question like this, it's helpful to study other scriptures that will help us bring clarity to a question that may be difficult to understand. And so for that, we're going to turn to Acts 13.22. I'll put it on the screen. If you want to just look on the screen. It says, And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. Again, it's like, okay, that's not that helpful. But we have this phrase that clarifies, that kind of goes another step. Who will do all my will. David was after God's heart in that he understood and he was willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. David's greatness in being after God's heart was in the fact that he would do whatever God wanted him to do. Time and time again through David's life and story, you see this truth. He would do what God wanted him to do. And the other kings were not willing to do that. Look at 1 Samuel 13. You can turn there if you want. We'll read a passage, a couple passages here. Verse 14, talking about Saul. Again, we learn what does it mean to be after God's own heart by looking at someone who didn't do that. And the text tells us Saul did not pursue God's heart. But what did Saul do? Look at this passage. It says, And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal and the people followed him trembling. Okay, so the situation is bad. Like, you have thousands of people and horses and chariots coming down on you, and your death is close. And so Saul takes things, matters, into his own hands. He waited seven days, because he was told to wait seven days for Samuel. But he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Poor timing. It's like he just finished. And here comes Samuel. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed, that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you for when the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. 
The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. He's saying, Saul, you were nervous, right? You thought you were about to die. And so you took matters into your own hands and you disobeyed me, you disobeyed God. You directly violated the way that we've set up to do sacrifices, that not just anyone can come into the presence of God. And in your fear and in your lack of trust, you've done what you wanted to do. And he's saying, I'm looking for someone who will be after my heart, will do exactly what I tell him to do, exactly how I tell him to do it. That's greatness. David, you you follow his story, and again, you see the opposite of this. David, in desperate situations, is in a cave hiding from Saul. His life is about to end. Saul comes into the cave, the perfect opportunity for David to kill Saul. Perfect opportunity to take the situation in his own hands. Here comes the man in the cave who's trying to kill me. But what does David do? He says, I will not touch him. I will not hurt him. This is the Lord's anointed. He chooses to follow God, even when it seems like doing that will free him and clear him. David ran after God. He followed him no matter what the cost. There's so many more examples of how David did this. Later to King Jeroboam, God tells him to this new king, he says, I want you to be like David. In, in verse 14, or chapter 14, 8 of 1 Kings, he says, David, who kept my commandments, who followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in my eyes. David wanted, loved, following God and his commandments. In the Psalms, David writes about this. He says, give me understanding. I will keep your law and I will obey it with my whole heart. David relentlessly, regardless of the situation, pursued God. Now, we'll talk in a couple of weeks about how he failed. But in general, you look at his life, David pursued God by obeying exactly what he told him to do. And it takes me to Luke chapter 9. For, the, for us, as we think about what does it mean, what does it mean to do exactly what God tells us to do? Certainly obeying his commandments, but I think it's more than that. And in Luke 9, 57 and 58, we have a really interesting dialogue that Jesus has with a person that's following him. Really interesting because we don't have a lot of details. So it gives us room to kind of think what might be happening. And Jesus had had garnered thousands of people following him. And Jesus wasn't interested in having the most followers. He was interested in authenticity. People willing to truly follow him. And And in verse 57, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I love that. Because you read the rest of the passage, you've got guys who say something similar, I'll do whatever you tell me. But when Jesus responds to them, what do they do? Uh, no, maybe not. Like, it felt good when I said it, but now that you kind of break it down for me, 
No, thank you. But he says, I will follow you wherever you go. I love that. And Jesus' answer, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's basically saying, are you sure? Like, I'm homeless. Like, I have nowhere to live. I have no pillow. I have no comfort. I have nowhere to go. Are you sure that you are willing to follow me wherever I go? And probably the man was uncomfortable. If, if it runs with the other two men that are about to follow him, he probably rejected what Jesus had to say. Because here's the truth. It's much easier to follow Jesus when we're generic. It's much easier to sing songs about going where God goes, doing what God wants us to do, following him and obey. It's much easier when we're generic about it. But when we get specific about being great, following his heart by obeying him, by following him wherever he leads, when we get specific with that, it gets so much harder. And so two ways that we can follow God, obey God as we close. Okay, we follow God wherever he leads us with our future. Wherever he takes us, wherever that might be, it may be Lancaster County. It may be India. It may be Indiana. I'm not sure where God will take you, but it is not guaranteed that he will keep you here. And so part of following him and obeying him is saying, okay, God, I, I will go wherever you lead me, whatever that looks like, family or no family, comfort or no comfort. And we have to be willing to follow. That's what greatness is. Greatness is following wherever he takes us. But it's not just about the future. Sometimes we think about the future. It's also about following where God has led you today. Following where he has put you right now. Are you following him in the roles and in the places that he has placed you? Obeying him where he has placed you as a husband. Are you following him as a husband, as a wife, as a son or a daughter, as an employee, as a neighbor? Like, are you following the way that he has designed and commanded us to live, where he has placed us? And if we're willing to say, you know what, I will follow him and live in a way, in whatever relationships, in whatever context I am, that's greatness. That's what greatness is. It's not achievement. It's being willing to say, God, you're great. I will do whatever you tell me in whatever situation you've placed me in. I've been reading a story about a missionary a long time ago who was born in a very wealthy family, a dairy farming family in Chicago. His name is William Borden. His family owned the Borden Dairy Company. And his family, his mother got saved when he was young. And so she started bringing William to church. And William eventually 
put his faith in Christ. And, and he was a smart boy. He was doing really well. He graduated high school, and his parents gave him a pretty sweet gift. said, we will take you on a trip around the world. Okay, that's pretty cool. So they travel around the world. And William was overcome with emotion at the poverty and the amount of people who live in situations where they have no gospel ministry. This was in the early 1800s, by the way. And as he's seeing these people who have no gospel witness, he becomes burdened to be a missionary. He comes back and his, his parents did not like that. His dad especially did not like that. Comes back, he goes to Yale. He is successful. Sports, academics, graduates at the top of his class. And everyone cannot wait to see what young William will do. And young William tells his family and his friends, I'm going to go and be a missionary in China to the 10 million Muslims who have no gospel to hear. And everyone was completely thrown off by his track in life that he decides to go. But he goes against his parents, against what his friends were saying, against what his whole community was telling him. You can do anything you could ever imagine or want. And he says, I'm going to go and serve the Muslims. And so he goes to Cairo to learn the language. Soon as he gets to Cairo, he gets spinal meningitis. And he dies quickly after being in Cairo. And his friends and his families, as they reflected on his life, they all said, what a wasted life. What a failure. Why would he do this? But what's interesting about William Borden is the impact and the legacy that he has left. Though he did not even start his ministry in China, he is regarded today as one of the most influential missionaries of the 20th century because of the fire that he started in other young missionaries who saw him and his passion to go where God called him to go who followed him and completed the mission that God gave to William. And as they, as they gave, as they did the funeral for William, they got his Bible. And as they were going through his Bible, his parents, his family, and his friends, there were three phrases that were written at the end of his Bible, at the back of his Bible. And these just have stuck with me. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. A man who would say, I can do anything. I can be great according to the world, to my family, to my culture. I choose to be great with God. To go where he has led me. To do what he has put in front of me. May we be obedient like David. May we be obedient like William with our eyes on our great God. And I'd be remiss to not say here as we close, David was a great man after God's own heart. He did whatever God put in front of him. Yet Jesus was even greater than David. Philippians 2 says, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You talk about greatness. Here was a man 
who was so obedient, he was willing to die. And as he approached the cross, he prayed to God. Jesus did, and he says, not my will, but your will. Saying, not what I want. What do you want, God, for me? As if to say, I will do whatever you have for me. And God responds, God, as if God says back, I want you to die so that you can forgive the sins of the people. You can forgive all the things that we've done wrong. And this is where greatness starts. This is what greatness is. When we realize we're not great. We're not great. Outside of God, we aren't great. We make mistakes. But a great God came to get us and to forgive us by dying on the cross. And all we have to do is put our faith, our hope, and our belief in the fact that Jesus came to make us great according to what God's done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us in our ungreatness. Thank you that You gave us, Jesus Christ, your son, to come to live to die for us so that we could be great. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who says, you know what, I don't know where I am with God. I don't know that I have put my faith, my belief, my trust and hope in him. God, I pray that today would be the day that they say, no more. Today, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for me. Who three days later, who beat death, who brings new life so that we can live in great ways. And God, for the rest of us, God, we pray that we would be great in the roles, in the responsibilities, in the places that you have placed us. Whether that's at work, if that's at home, if that's in our neighborhood, in our families, with our kids. God, that we would be relentless to do exactly what you've laid out in front of us to do. Being men and women after your own heart, willing to do everything you've commanded us to do. Give us courage and boldness like David had, that regardless of the consequences or the perception, he was going to follow you no matter what. And I pray that, God, we would do that too. We would go wherever you'll take us, that we would serve you here where you have us now. God, we're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your love. And as we close, God, we worship you again in your greatness. And may your greatness rub off on us. And may we show to a world that is desperately hurting, that is desperately sad and lost and looking for hope, may we shine your greatness to them. Help us, Father. We love you. We worship you in your name. Amen.